Hello and welcome to this FT Advisor in Focus podcast about helping investors when things go wrong. Advisors are often the first port of call for an investor in trouble. They have the skills to assure people and the knowledge to rebuild the finances after something bad like a scam or investment failure has happened. Today's two guests have plenty of experience with this kind of work and will give us an insight into what advisors can do when an investor or pension saver has found themselves in trouble. Al Rush, principal of Echelon Wealth Care, has worked tirelessly on behalf of the British steel workers in the recent pension transfer disaster. And Philip Milton, of Philip J. Milton & Company, has helped several investors who were caught up in investments which later failed. Hi both. Thanks for joining us today. Really good to have you here. Um, you've both helped a lot of investors in trouble. Um What are typically the warning signs when things start to go wrong? And at what point do investors typically approach you? Well, um, if I if I could give my thoughts thoughts first then, Carmen. Thank you for having me. Um, I think BSPS, which is my primary experience, was one of those situations which it just caught everybody by surprise. So there wasn't one particular thing that drew my attention to us or drew other people's attention to it it just grew it just created a life of its own over the first four or five years so there was nothing one one thing in particular but if i was to highlight something which did draw attention to it it was the ridiculously low advisor costs and charges which look suspicious and the abbreviated advice process I think financial advice is one of those things that you don't know if it was right and wrong until years after the event where you can look back. But that was the first thing at the time, low advice charges and a ridiculously short advice process for something that was complicated, like DB transfer. Mm-hmm. And and what at what point did investors start to approach you? What What did they understand had happened to them at the time? They didn't. Um, I think back to summer 2017 almost six years ago when it started um the first people didn't have a clue there was something wrong they just said oh i heard there might be something wrong can you just please tell me whether or not i am in that particular cohort or i'm not in that particular cohort so when i said to them well okay show me a suitability report or show me the research or show me whatever they said well haven't any paperwork it's just been transferred out (laughs) and at that point you have to say to them, well, you should have at least had some a business card, conditions of uh, terms of contract or a suitability report, but they had nothing at all. So mm-hmm. from the word of go, from the word go, they it was obviously something dodgy. Mm-hmm. And what about you, um, Phil? What, um, what, what, how do you come across investors in trouble? How do they seek you out? There's almost two different types, I suppose, really, because touching on the British Steel thing, all of those advisory firms were regulated. And so one of the warning signs that, you know, people still don't heed adequately is that they will jump into things where there is no regulatory protection. And there's a big full stop after that. And you could take the cryptocurrency uh, world and and whether you believe in it or you disbelieve it. um, If there isn't any regulation in what you're playing with or investing in or whatever expressions may be used, then in a nutshell, don't touch it because you have no regulatory protection. And that protection isn't only in relation to the advice you give, but as with the British Steel Scheme, 
at least if there's been um, uh, mis-selling there, which is different, I suppose, to a scam as well, mis-selling there, there is some route to compensation. Uh, I'm afraid in the past we've, we've come across people um, that have invested in, let's say the recent thing is cryptocurrency. And, you know, they 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 believe it. They, they, they're in love with it. They think it's going to give them all of the riches in the in the world and so on because they've they've become smitten by the whole principle of it but we've also found some people that not only wanted to buy into the cryptocurrency but then they ended up engaging with a fraudulent company so it was not only cryptocurrency itself but then they used a fraudulent company where there weren't the protections even that the mainstream crypto currency sort of uh, industry would try to pretend exist and so you know they were just defrauded and that was just the other excuse why somebody managed to get hold of their money and that mm -hmm. was very uh, difficult in both instances in, in terms of how does a, 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 a somebody contact us sometimes we uh, just in our general um, communications with perhaps new clients or whatever it is we can see that something doesn't quite smell as it should do or sometimes people do come to us because they have been scammed um in whatever way and and we're then very happy to investigate and have a look and see i mean if it is outright fraud it is very very difficult for them to be able to do anything about it but clearly if there is some regulatory umbrella involved somewhere in that process and that's not necessarily very clear either then there is some hope of of recompense um, for the wrongs that have been um, uh, done to them. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that sometimes it just doesn't smell right. Can you describe that? What What do you think are the kind of warning signs there? Um, well, uh, certainly, as I say, the regulation is is a very important one. You know, is is this person that's selling you something or recommending something regulated? And so, you know, if you've got a telephone call, an unsolicited telephone call from somebody offering you investment or pension advice, that in itself is not regulated. So therefore, that's illegal. If they're from outside of the country, you don't need to invest in something through a broker in the States or some other country in the world. Um, you can buy all that you want on the London stock exchange, basically. Um, and if you do so, you'll do so through a UK regulated entity, or you need to make sure you are doing that, in which case you have some protections. So there is nothing whatsoever that exists on this earth that you can't invest in through some form of regulated process, if it is of something that's going to be of any good to you and obviously again i go back to the cryptocurrency thing no i'm not a believer in cryptocurrency in itself um i believe it's a fantastic marketing and um, exercise but i could go on for hours about why i don't believe in the principle of what cryptocurrency represents but that's an aside but people get sucked in by all sorts of things had a a, a, a good client a, quite a wealthy client come to me the other day and said what do you think about investing in whiskey? I've had, I've seen lots of adverts on Facebook about how good that is. And, you know, my, my heart sinks. And I think, ah, all the costs and the pressures that we have to be regulated at the highest possible degree. And still they're thinking that, oh, I can invest in, in whiskey or wine or whatever else it is. You know, it's it's not the same thing. And if you haven't got that regulatory protection, it's not whether or not that underlying commodity might be a great thing to invest in. But if there's not that regulatory protection, then just don't touch it. <laughs> I think, in fact, um, I think I had a call about whiskey investments the other week as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, Al, once you've actually detected something, what can an advisor actually do to help? I imagine it's it's 
all the way from helping to bring claims to giving counselling and then rebuilding portfolios. Is that right? Uh, basically, yes, I think you're right. Um, I think with BSPS, I think I've spoken to between 14 and 1,500 steelworkers now. And the one thing, it's particularly tightly defined cohort. So I'm, I'm conscious that I'm only aware of this particular cohort and how this these bunch of people tend to think. But the first thing I try and do is tell them to do nothing. I say to them, look, you're in this situation because you were hastened into it, because you made an impulse decision which hasn't turned out potentially to be in your best interest. Do nothing from it. Dump your brain. Just do nothing. Go home, think about it. Think about your options and take it from there. That's the first thing I think that's really important. Um, I haven't been involved with the types of stuff that, that Philip seems to have. Um, there was no need for me to intervene on behalf of many of the pensions. Most steelworkers were transferred into vanilla, good quality pensions, so they were relatively, inverted commas, safe. So the first thing that you try and impress upon them is to not make irrational, hasty decisions, to go away and think about it, slow down. And you will then start getting, I will get phone calls from them. They'll be on a night shift, for instance, and I'll get a phone call at five minutes past midnight um, or half past five in the morning. And they'll say, can I have a quick chat about something? Something's been bugging me. And you have to realise that this is a massive thing for these people. So then you have to start taking it at their pace. You have to start responding to how they want to play it. But the important thing is to put them into a condition where they are not frightened, if that's the right word. And I know many of them have been frightened beyond belief by this, although they don't mention it. But put them into a position where they are calm and they can make informed decisions. That's the first thing. Thereafter, you can start talking to them about options, um, whether it involves going to the financial ombudsman, FSCS, the FCA, potentially a solicitor. But the first thing is to just start slowing things down a little bit so they can just gather information and intelligence at a more informed, suitable pace. Mm-hmm. And um, you've, you alluded to the uh, potentially emotional impact that these oh, yeah. experiences have on those people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you find yourself do you find yourself being taken on the kind of counsellor role as well? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Blimey. Um, had a guy in this morning. Um, his wife, you know, these are really good people, fantastic people. Genuinely working with them has been a privilege, I would say. Um, and many of them are friends and confidants. They're fantastic people. One guy came in this morning, his wife was diagnosed with um, breast cancer at the start of the pandemic. You know, and he had lots of problems. He had all this going on. And I feel emotional just talking about it. Mm-hmm. So it does impact on you. And his wife has now got the all clear. How great is that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, some people, some clients have died, not knowing if they've had justice. Um, yeah, and your your relationship does become a far more personal one because they look, they look upon, you know, I don't mean to remotely imply this i'm a saint or a good guy but they look upon me as a touchstone i suppose you know when i was there for them i am there for them and they come to you with all sorts of problems all sorts of scenarios and situations um 
yeah, you do become not just a financial advisor, you do become a confidant and a counsellor and a helper. And it, it can be draining. I will get 10 or 15 text messages and emails a day sometimes from people I don't know. And we try and help absolutely anybody without fear or favour. And it can be quite, it can be draining. It can be awful sometimes. But mm-hmm. what do you do? You've got you to carry on. Yeah, absolutely. What's your experience of of dealing with um, people that find themselves in trouble, um, Philip? Um, it's it's difficult. Um, very often, it's 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 individual as well. I mean, we we um, took on a, a bank of um, investors uh, uh, who basically had ended up all being um, pushed into exactly the same underlying investments, and in the end, the investment management company went into administration, um, and what it had been buying um, was absolutely disgraceful and, you know, tantamount to fraud. And and I'm being careful what I say here as well. Uh, And many of them all um, uh, linking back to the same um, uh, holiday investment company. Um, And these people, what they thought they bought or what they had been represented that they were buying was quite bona fide in one sense but then what the investment management company did was nothing whatsoever to do with what the product particulars was demonstrating to them and Mm -hmm. and we have helped a lot of those mainly um free of charge generic uh, advice and encouragement to them to pursue compensation um but but there is still a, a glitch in the system that even though something like that happens so there is a a a definite loss that can be quantified if they don't claim their loss then they don't get any compensation so if they need to claim their loss from the financial services compensation scheme um and of course we we also found not only um were there losses from that but then the the information the confidential information on all these people who'd been suckered into these particular investments was all peddled amongst the claims management companies so they were in like vultures um, you know, taking up to just under 50% of the compensation that basically was just waiting for them at mm. the um, financial services compensation scheme, which was a double scam. Um, and then after that, their details still circulate because they're seen as, you know, on a suckers list or whatever it is, which is disgraceful. And so they're approached by other scammers who've got the latest um, scam going because they see them as being um, uh, more easy targets in many cases um, Mm. than um, other types of people because they've already succumbed to some form of scam previously. And it, and it, it is really, really sad. There are other things that people don't necessarily see as scams either, but we've come across um, one um, uh, that, that nobody seems to talk about although there are websites on this, which is the the sale of these um, um, caravans, mobile homes, etc., for holidays, um, bought on, on sites owned by big companies, but where there's no real security of tenure uh, in relation to one's ownership of these things. And lots of things are not explained very well. Lots of people have bought them with some form of borrowed money and so on. Um, and, you know, it's only when things start to go wrong or they want to try and liquidate their investment that they find that they've basically bought a pup. Um, and, you know, it, it's something like I say I'd press for that there needs to be regulation of these things because it's it's just totally unacceptable that people can be parting with considerable sums of money um, and, and they're buying it on all smiles because they might holiday in it or be able to rent it out and get a source of income or something of that ilk. 
and find that when it's too late, what they've done was not such a good idea at all. And I, I've had several of those sorts of cases. I mean, one, I recall he took out a mortgage. He had a very small income, but took a mortgage on their home and to buy one of these things on the guarantee of how much the rental income was going to be. Of course, that didn't materialize and the um, host company didn't have the money to be able to make the payments. Um, then uh, retirement age came. So then he had to do an equity release to repay the original mortgage that he had. Um, because of the um, time limits with um, complaints, he couldn't complain to the original financial advisory firm that had basically um, fabricated his income figures to substantiate the mortgage to allow them to buy this thing uh, and find the mortgage person was linked to the owner of the holiday site and all this sort of rubbish goes mm -hmm. on and there's still this chap he's got a, a holiday home on a site from which he's not getting any income where the owner is still extant and has threatened him with tens of thousands of pounds of costs if he has to relocate his um holiday units and so on and it just think this is just a scam it should never mm -hmm. have happened in the first place but nobody seems to want to do anything about it and um, so there's there's that type of thing as well uh, i mean i just as i'm chatting to you and emails come through you know uh, closing soon 24 luxury apartments in one of the fastest growth towns in the uk you know invest now and people do they respond to these things mm -hmm. they don't understand they're they're frightened almost by the regulator of investing in stocks and shares and things that are good for them because they might lose their money and they end up putting all their money into some scam of that sort of nature where they can indeed lose all of their money and find they've got an absolutely inappropriate product for whatever their financial needs are. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, there is a difference um, between an, an absolute scam, which is a fraud, and, a, and an extremely unsuitable investment. Um, but um, losing the term, using the term scam lightly here. Um, but all of this, I mean, this sounds like there's lots going on. I'm just wondering how much of your time does this kind of work take on? Because if it's a little bit like what we're experiencing when we report on these kind of investments, is that once you do, you help one person, you get you know, inundated almost with calls from other people who want to need the same kind of help. And I, I suppose it's probably no different for you guys. I mean, Philip, how much of your time does this take up? Um, at the moment, it doesn't take up very much time um, because most of those particular instances are unique instances, I suppose. Um, when we took over this bank of, 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 of clients, we weren't really taking them over. We we're actually taking over the investment management because the firm had been barred from making any decisions. So we basically acted as the remote investment manager enabling the, the, the investments that were accessible to be managed. Um, uh, but then in the end, they basically all, I suppose, or most of them become our clients because the advisory firms um, went bust as a consequence of the the, the frauds that had been undertaken. Um, mm -hmm. So th th that was a, an, another issue. So much of what we were doing was, well, it was all voluntary on our part where we were basically um, doing generic uh, circulars to try to encourage people to understand more about what had happened and what they could do about it themselves. But certainly it, it was something that um, escalated at the time. And this was from 2018. So it was it was already extant at that particular point. 
Um, but we, we will still get the odd inquiry from somebody where they've not put in their claim or they started mm -hmm. a claim themselves and it fell by the wayside because it became too complicated or something like that. So we've, we've still you know, offered to help them specifically um, to consider the compensation to which they're entitled. Um, I suppose really it's, it's as somebody might come in our door and, and we don't want to look for this type of thing uh, happening, um, but it, it will arise from time to time. Um, we had a, a new client recently, or a son-in-law of an existing client, and I, I didn't know anything about them, just generally chatting to them, helping them with their other finances. Um, and uh, quite reasonably off, but not very, very well off. Um, and he's lost £220,000 on cryptocurrency. And that was a legitimate cryptocurrency, one that did exist in theory, but it was one of those that went to zero. Um, but he'd clearly been so uh, sucked into the whole thing, maxed out all of their credit cards on this. And you can imagine the financial mess that was created, let alone the psychological impact of this mm -hmm. particular thing. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, I've, I've offered to help there, but I don't know what I can quite do there because it wasn't a fraudulent thing. Um, you know, it, it was something that, as I say, theoretically was legitimate, but I would still say it didn't really exist and there was no regulatory protection for him at all. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, there, most of our assistants will be putting their finances back onto an even keel and, and helping counsel them I suppose into the, the fact that the future will be different to how the past has been as long as they let us hold their hand. Mm -hmm. And where does the kind of pro bono work stop and the um, the kind of charging begin in all this work? Uh, that's another interesting question. I mean we are regulated claims managers but that's not because we set out to be claims managers that's because in the regulations it basically says if you're helping anybody manage a claim against anything, you need to be uh, regulated because otherwise you are actually breaching the regulations. And, you know, we'd always help people in many, many guises. But once we realized that, we thought, well, we need to be regulated because we never know what might come in the door. And it can mm -hmm. it can be in relation if somebody's got a trade dispute with a local business or something, you know, and if we're giving guidance to them, uh, it's all the same sort of thing. So you do need mm -hmm. to be regulated um, in the field of, of claims management. And so we, we did that anyway. But I mean, typically, we'll we'll give anybody full guidance uh, and our views on what the position is. Um, and very often we take on a, a pro bono case, uh, charging nothing um, if we're not sure about what the outcome might be. And and then, for example, like with, with latterly now, if, if we see a, a client um, of, of this original um, mis-selling um, scenario I mentioned earlier with all those mm -hmm. individuals, they've had so much free guidance from us already that if they want us to help them, we basically say, we know what we're doing, we will help you. There are many hours of, of administrative work involved yeah. um, and we charge a, a minimum fee. And it, typically we can do it for something like £375 plus VAT or something like that, mm -hmm. whether it's claiming £5,000 or £50,000 um, because we know what we're doing and we certainly don't charge a percentage of what they're compensation is i have one uh, unrelated to that um that only came through today that we've, we've just managed to get a hundred thousand pounds of compensation for this lady who had given up with the um claims process and she was recommended to contact us by another of the clients that we have through another source and so on and our, our bill will be five or six hundred pounds i think because it was a little bit more protracted uh, but that's it we're not we're not doing it for the money that's just to cover our administrative costs involved basically mm -hmm. um but i suppose the 
the other side of that equation is if that lady uh, entrusts us, then believes that we are, are respectable, and then she might become a client. But that's not, again, the reason why we, we do that. Um, and I have a, another holiday home case where it's atrocious and there wouldn't be any business for us whatsoever. And and, and, and I've done a, a tremendous amount of, of complimentary work for her. Um, but finally, I, I, I got her to sign a fee agreement on the basis of if we are successful, then there'll be a charge. But if we're unsuccessful, we still won't charge her anything for all of the work we've done. Um, but say we, we don't charge any more or anything like that. But that's that was basically because it could become very, very embroiled. Um, and there could be some tens of thousands of pounds of compensation that's due in the end. And that's through the financial ombudsman service um, through, you know, again, a mis-selling process um, with with many individuals involved who theoretically were regulated. But it's, again, trying to pin the blame sometimes on who is responsible. Is it the mortgage company? Because they acted on the information the agent gave them. Is it the agent who was, who's a regulated individual on behalf of the holiday home sales entity uh, or is it somebody else in that whole process and of course they all put their hands oh, it's not me i'm not responsible can't pursue us so it goes on there we are. absolutely absolutely um now al you've spent hours and hours and hours on the steelworker cases um where how much of it can an advisor how much of this work can an advisor do on a pro bono basis I don't know. Um, the nice thing about British Steel is that there is so much commonality between the victims, shall I say, and they are now able to do a lot of self-help. They speak to each other at work and they are really well informed. I do not think you will find a hotspot of such high levels of knowledge in the country when it comes to um, the FCA, FOS and pension mis-selling and, and pensions. How much can you do? Um, I, I've, I've never explored that boundary. Um, um, it's, I can only speak for myself, I suppose. And again, without wanting to sound like something I'm not, um, I haven't had a holiday in six years. I've got a lovely work ethic. I, I enjoy work. Um, I probably put in 12, 13 hours a day, something 14 hours a day, maybe something like that. Um, I've got a good team around me. The, the team is fantastic now. They know what it's all about. They can help. They take on a lot of responsibility, a lot of the weight off my shoulders. I suppose the ultimate answer is it's not about... It, listening to Philip, I was struck by the similarity in some ways between me and him. You know, you don't get involved in this because you, you're a social warrior. You have a sense of, you know, you get involved in this because you're bloody minded. You're stubborn and you've got a sense of outrage about how these brilliant people being ripped off by some by some shyster. And then it's Pandora's box. You know, it opens and all of a sudden you think, right, I'm this far into it. Do I walk away? Do I quit? No, I'm not going to quit because I'm not like that. And before you know it, you're two or three years in, then five years in. And then you look back and think, Jesus Christ, that took a lot of time. But I suppose it's your outlook that says, whatever it takes, I'm going to destroy this. I'm going to attack it. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to win. So yeah. it's not a question of how many hours. It's just a question of how stupid you are and how belligerent and how stubborn you are, I suppose, Carmen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's the passion, I suppose. And I suppose yeah. you as well yeah. will probably take quite a few of Dominic's clients, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always felt squeamish about this. Um, and people will know this. I didn't have a client for about 
six months because I did not want there to be any any I wanted it to be clean and clear why I was doing it. It was not to make money. Mm-hmm. And in the end, um Leanne, with the wife of one of the steel workers, said, Look, will you look, we need an advisor. Please will you be our advisor? And I said, No, no, no. And she said, Well, we need an advisor. So I said, Okay, I will have you as my advisor. I got on particularly well with Leanne and Paul. And then somebody else said, well, you've got them as a client. And it grew and it grew and it grew. So now we do have a practice in Port Talbot. And we do try, we we help anybody without fear or favour, just like Philip was saying, you know, having a client is an unintended consequence of acting or managing your practice in a particular way. But yes, there comes a point when you do start having them as clients and they stop becoming victims and you don't want them to feel victimised and they start becoming clients who you respect and work with as conventional clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what happened in Port Talbot, yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now, in theory, the the way the regulatory system is set up with the FAST, the FCS, the FCA and so Mm. on... um, it should be possible and easy enough for a client to help themselves when things have gone wrong, right? As long as they're in the regulatory kind of um, mm. environment. But it isn't always the case, is it? Especially you, Al. I mean, this is all regulatory stuff that you are having to manage here. Yeah. Do you think Do you think the system is easy to navigate? Or, or, why, or, or does it take somebody like you to step in and really help those people? The system stinks, okay? Um, I, I know that my camera can't be seen, but if you look at the camera over my shoulder there, you'll see a subject access request, which I've just got back from the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, of the information that I want to find out about a particular aspect of this. The, you know, you've got FSCS, you've got FOS, you've got the FCA. It's It's almost like a Mexican firing squad. When things don't go right... They will point at somebody else and say, well, nothing to do with this, go for it. It's their fault or, you know, it's up to them. Clients, and in particular steel workers, do not know what they do not know. And we have only found out about how the FSCS and how FOS and how the FCA operates because we have had such a condensed cohort of people in such a short space of time and in such a tightly defined geographic area. So we can make comparisons. God knows how many people across the country over the past 10 years or so, and I'm thinking about DB pension mis-selling, will have had a bad service and a bad compensation outcome because of how our compensation system works. They went from, many people went from a really bad advice process into a really bad compensation process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What, what about you, Phil? Have you, Philip, have you got uh, something... Have you got a better experience with um, with this system as it stands? Yeah, well, um, again, back to this, um, the 1,600 um, individuals who we took on, um, we did have an initial um, a helpful series of conversations with somebody at the FSCS because it was in a, a hybrid scenario and that basically whilst the investment management company had gone uh, bust, um, the demand was for the claims to be made to the advisory firms, um, most of which were still operating um, for basically the mis-selling of the investment management um, uh, service, if you like, from this investment management firm. That did bemuse us because uh, I'm not trying to defend any of these advisory firms, but perhaps there were some that were actually you know, not so bad in there as well, you know, where they misguided, misled, miswhatever. 
Um, and um, so therefore the complaints had to go to the advisory firms, which then meant that when the complaints were rejected, um, the complaint had to go to the Financial Ombudsman Service, which is obviously a long process, protracted process. And it was only when several complaints basically were found against these advisory firms did they then go into liquidation, which again then took some period of time before their case would be picked up by the FSCS, which would then accept it as a firm in default. And that process in itself was extremely um, long-winded and, and one could say unnecessary in that the industry yeah. could have basically said, right, this investment management firm's gone bust. We can see exactly what they've been doing, the frauds in which they've been getting up to. We don't know all the extent of it, but we can see what they've done. They're the guilty parties. Um, and we could assimilate all of the investors' details that are involved in these. We could, we could basically just compensate them all. You know, we could do all that. Don't need any claim process or anything of that nature because you can see exactly where the frauds have been taking place and the wrong investments if one can call them investments to some extent, because they just weren't, they were, well, anyway, it's an aside, um, uh, um, were made in the first instance. Um, mm. And uh, we found there was one um, subset as well that to accommodate the purchase of um, hotel rooms or partial ownership of hotel rooms, which are non-qualifying investments under the pension regulations. So what they then did was they transferred these people's pensions into a small self-administered scheme, which mm -hmm. then has a, a wider range of prospective investments. But the administrator of the SASs uh, isn't a regulated, isn't an, a, an FCA regulated entity because it doesn't have to be. Um, and so these people that could have had tiny pensions, 20, 30,000 pounds uh, transfer from a, um, a, a good fund salary scheme, for example, ended up having to create a separate limited company um, just to invest in this SaaS. And only after, what, three, four years did we manage to find there was some um, regulatory um, process involved where a regulated firm had signed off the, the the underlying investments within that. So we've been able to make financial ombudsman service complaints against that firm for basically signing off the underlying investment that ended up in the SAS and so on. So that company itself is now going into administration, which will then mean five years later, those people will also be able to go to the financial services compensation scheme. Um, but mm -hmm. it, it's been a very, very lengthy process. And we've had to do so much digging to find as whatever we could about the original sales paperwork and so on that these people were presented with to find a regulated firm that had put its monocle a moniker on on the bottom of some of that sales material mm -hmm. mm. yeah no, absolutely um yeah, i'm well aware of the SAS issue um i'm speaking to lots of people who are in exactly that situation um and often unfortunately have no regulated entity in their chain which makes it really difficult um but Thank you so much um, for speaking to me about this topic. Um, it's I find it uh, fascinating. It's it's I admire the the great work you guys do um, to help those people, and I think I'm sure it's greatly appreciated by um, the investors too. So thank you very much um, for joining me today, and thank you for listening. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, 
and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.